Oh, hello there. I didn't see you creep in. Won't you come and join us for another startling episode of The Arcane Book Club of Horrors? Uh, so everyone, uh, this is this is kind of a bonus uh, mini book club episode we're doing uh, because literally, literally in the last like three days, John and I have gotten hold of a, a piece of uh, uh, potentially one of the first uh, instances of a, of a gothic Marxist writing. Uh, we've both been looking for this for quite some time. It's been incredibly difficult to get a hold of, and now we have it. It is very, very exciting. We have journeyed through the dark, forbidden libraries uh, of the world and have returned with this arcane and powerful text. Uh, it was surrounded by signs that said, don't read, don't open. Uh, weird, like, uh, eldritch symbols have been carved into the desk it was on. Um, but I'm sure it's going to be fine. I'm sure it'll, there's nothing weird that can happen. Um, but we're very excited. We're very excited to be talking about this slice of materialist gothic history. Yeah, I, I'm so I'm still I'm still riding the high of unwrapping this book when it came in the mail. So this has just been it's been it's been good. It's been a good couple of days. So given given that it's arrived with you now, maybe you should be the one to kind of explain to people what it is we've got our hands on and why it's so kind of important so i'm I'm holding in my hands right now a copy of uncanny stories edited by c st john sprig um there's a name that probably maybe some of you know who that is probably most of you don't it's a little niche um but uh, also a little infamous and like uh you know like the the gothic marxist circles because the introduction of this book was quoted in China Mavel's famous Halloween speech. And a lot of people have wanted to read this, <laughs> but it's an incredibly hard to come by book. So, uh, see Christopher St. John Sprigg was the pen name of a jobbing writer in London in the twenties and thirties. Um, uh, their real name was Christopher Cordwell. They were a Marxist theorist, poet, journalist, writer, uh, militant anti-fascist, um, and editor. And they edited this collection of uncanny stories in 19... It's 1937? Uh, this comes out in 36, I do believe, the year before he dies. And in 1937, whilst fighting uh, for the Reds in the Spanish Civil War, uh, Christopher Cordwell is shot and killed by fascists. Um, and so a kind of incredibly influential voice in the development of Marxist approaches to literature and um, reporting and poetry was just kind of like cut short. Um, and this is one of the very last things that we have from C. St. John Sprigg. Uh, and it is infamous for its introductory essay, and that is what we are going to talk about today. Yes, all all of this hype is over a A6, I think, sized book, really tiny. Uh, Four-page introduction is what all the hype is over, but like, uh, the you know, like, we were, we were blowing up the Discord last night about this one. I have been, like, calling people I know who don't care, and I'm like, guess what I got in the mail? <laughs> so... 
why why are we why are we so excited about this like how how should we kind of start and ease into this um well we talked we've talked a little bit about why why the hype is there who who sprig is how he lived what he did um we talked a little bit about how this emerges in the modern context thanks to that um you know infamous halloween presentation by china mayville um, which we've talked about before on the show a bunch of times, um, which you definitely, uh, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to it. It's on YouTube and we highly recommend listening to it. It's just so phenomenally impactful. Um, but China Mayville cites this introductory essay and like, you can't find this thing anywhere. Uh, it's, it's not, it's never been reprinted. It's never been scanned into a PDF. It's not available online until now. And like, fantastic uh, i think like the hype is where we start for this one <laughs> the hype is real so let's kind of start with maybe like a broad overview and then we can talk about our favorite bits of the essay right mm-hmm. if you had to kind of summarize what this editor's introduction is trying to say how would you put it um i, I would be a terrible academic and i would say proto-gothic marxism this this is this is materialism for ghosts yes absolutely um and making the argument that that is a historically uh that's a phenomenon that can only emerge at a specific time in history um from the very first sentence which i love i love this Mm -hmm. first sentence go 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 for it go for it the uncanny story as a self-conscious highly developed art form is a typically modern product. Uh, and yeah, it's super short, but like the, just that is a is an incredibly good example of concision and good like condensing ideas down. It is a product because it is both wildly commercially successful and produced by various historical and economic and social forces which can only emerge at a specific time. Uh, and the uh, it, it undercuts what was at the time perhaps a kind of common critical position which was the uncanny story or what we would probably now call like weird fiction was in some ways a bit of a throwback an aesthetic kind of anachronism that we should have all grown out of you know the 20s and 30s is the high point of modernism of like uh james joyce and kafka and like this uh formal experimentation with 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 a narrative uh but at the same time as, T- as you know t.s Eliot's writing christopher cordwell's making the argument that all of these like ghost stories and uncanny stories are products of the same modernity which i think is an incredibly important point to make uh yeah yeah and and he'll go on in this essay and we will definitely go on to talk about why why this is but i think like you know the second half of that introduction it it reads it may seem at first illogical that the uncanny story should be a modern development when it is precisely in modern times that supernatural apparitions and miracle miraculous interventions are treated with the greatest skepticism i think he's 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 laying out there what he'll build on later and what we're definitely going to talk about once we get to the end of this piece but that our our modern position is is a bit uh, a bit of a house of glass when it comes to our relationship with uh superstitions and ghosts and things like that yes absolutely uh what i think is really kind of important to flag up is 
this idea, the relationship between the uncanny supernatural story and modernity's rationalism. Yep. Be- because what he's ma- he's making a kind of quite like at the time what i think is quite a provocative point which is that rationalism only goes so far right because he says no just because we're, we're, we're all supposed to be rational now we're, we're all supposed to be skeptics about the supernatural and about the strange and the inexplicable but precisely because of that impulse to be a kind of flat uh positivist a naive realist about things that we can you know, that's what opens up the possibility of the uncanny and strange emerging. Uh, yeah, on page on page 10, he writes, people must be rational to be thrilled by the irrational. If you believe wholeheartedly in the world of matter-of-fact events, then when for a moment all this concrete reality seems to quiver and the impossible peeps through, the effect is shattering. Yes, absolutely. Uh... And that's a you can see that because he goes on to talk about ghost stories and how do ghost stories start? They always try to bolster their rationality. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the tone is, uh, as he puts it, it's, the ghost story has its simple, reasonable style. It's dealing in half hints and evasions. It's insinuating approach to the reader so as to enlist his confidence. Once gained, the confidence is slowly undermined by the development of the inexplicable. Uh, and he's making a point about the the kind of ideological and affective structures of capitalist modernity, right? This idea that only what's real is effective. And he says, well, actually, even if you don't believe this stuff, that shows that there's a gap, right? There's, that shows that there is a kind of uh, a crack in the wall of uh positivistic reason that we can kind of get inside and use against it i i completely agree and like this this insight into the structure of the ghost story was published in 1936 but it is 100% true today and i am so willing to bet it's going to be true in 1936 or 20 i'm sorry 2036 <laughs> um it was printed in 1936 and it was still true in 1936 but um like just think about just think about like all of the great modern ghost movies right like th- think think about the the absolute slow like and even even like the most excessive and spectacular versions right because we, we can point to things like the Blair Witch Project which is such a it's it's just so so slowly pulling out that thread of of yeah. rationality and just just slowly easing you into this nightmare forest and you never really get to see too much of it. And by the time, but by the time it's all over, everything's gone. But even even the poltergeist, right? Even even the the, the movie that has like rocket ship graves flying out of the ground and like tree monsters and like <laughs> cursed dolls. You 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 start you start in like the most believable mundane situation, moving into a new home, and then slowly things are happening out of frame they're happening in the corner of your eye cute cute weird little events uh that chair just slide across the floor and then and then before you know it reality is gone and you've got ghost 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 adventures in your house trying to find the doorway to the afterlife yeah um and this is a like i say this is a historical thing he talks in the introduction about um you know in the in the highlight of like enlightenment reason of like 
the late uh, 1700s, there was this growth in the explained supernatural where uh, you have the work of people like Anne Radcliffe. But ultimately, the problem is that there is always a kind of mechanical or human explanation for the screaming skulls, the hooded, hooded apparitions, the ghosts, the noises at night. There's always a kind of rational ac- explanation. Rationality can always be restored. But I think the thing that is um, attractive to him about Poe and many of the other writers that he includes in the, in this collection is that that doesn't go far enough anymore, right? You, explanations can never be completely final. You know, you can never completely secure the world as it used to be. Um, Siegmund Bauman uh, has this great uh, quote about the, the, the disenchantment of the world. And it's uh, it's a way of kind of reducing the world down to just kind of like flat f- phenomenological objects, um, or as Slavoj Žižek describes it as like an unfinished video game level. It's only <laughs> the on- reality is like the, only the stuff that you need to interact with is sort of finished. Um, but actually, the uncanny canny story sort of makes us realize the true strangeness and alienness and otherness of the world which is presented to us as being entirely rational and normative and explicable explicable only by the rules of capitalism i i, I completely agree what the, what the uncanny and and what today we probably would call the weird does for us as a fictitious mode is it reminds us of the multitudinal nature of reality right we want reality to be a single conformable flat object but it it can never be that. There is no way that reality can ever conform so tightly to those rigid standards. And this applies to society on every constructible level. And this is what the uncanny is constantly prying apart for us. Richard Gilman Opalski in their book Spectres of Revolt has this great quote where he says that um, ghosts are normal. What's paranormal is to meet someone who claims that they're not real. And he's a materialist. He's a materialist. And he talks about things, talks, says that haunting is, it should be the normal state of affairs, but it's the desire to completely expunge the ghost in whatever form you might think of them. That is paranormal. That is, is uh, its own kind of enforced normativity. I mean, he's talking about it in a very practical sense, like this idea of being haunted by memories or by mistakes we might have made, or uh, specific places which are haunted by historic injustices. So he's, he, he says that he, he thinks that like a materialist theory of the ghost is entirely understandable and, and uh, kind of suitable for, for kind of being taken seriously it's really striking how the rational will always seek to expunge that completely, but is ultimately never totally successful. Yeah. It's, it's, it's completely, it's a job. It's a job that can't be completed, right? The, the nature of reality forbids the expelling of, of the uncanny of the spectral. And this is, this is like, I love this introduction so much because this is literally what our show is, you know, like yes. this is, this is, this is, <laughs> we are, we are Marxism for ghostbusters. And like, this is this is it yeah absolutely this is why we do what we do right because you know especially in the 30s there was a very kind of formalist high modernist approach taken by marxists to culture 
so that it tended to split between socialist realism or like experimental modernism they were the forms of culture that that like leftists people on the left people interested in radical thought were supposed to were appropriate why because they described a totality however this kind of introduction and the proliferation of the gothic and the ghost story and the uncanny and the weird proved that that totality is never complete and actually it's important for uh, to have an honest appraisal of the situation that we inhabit and that includes space for the strange the supernatural the uh quote-unquote irrational uh because it's there that there are actual alternative possibilities that emerge and that's exactly why we do the show right uh, completely <laughs> so there's there's a lengthier quote here uh that if that if you'll indulge me i'll read that i think not only describes um sprigg's stance on the writer of the uncanny ghost story but also works really well to kind of like summarize our particular approach to cultural criticism and my cat's jumping off the desk in three two you going for it there you go <laughs> <laughs> sorry he's gonna... in order to do that he has to knock the mic around a bunch of times um but yeah yeah so i'm gonna read i'm gonna read that that paragraph for half of that paragraph anyway so here we here we go the writer of the ghost story should be a rational man Otherwise, he cannot build up the matter-of-fact framework which is so horrifyingly shattered by the incursion of the impossible. Any credulity would make his readers skeptical from the preliminary mining and sapping of their confidence in the rational which is necessary to undertake before he shows his hand. But though he must be by habit a materialist, he must be one with chinks in his armor. He must be devoid of simple faith and also of complete of completely honest doubt. In other words, he must be a typically modern writer. Yes, exactly. Uh, if if that is not the the horror vanguard motto, then I don't know. I don't know what <laughs> is. Um, to me, the important thing there is typically modern. Right, our condition is shared. The condition of modernity. Um. And I think a lot of people have had moments where they kind of feel like they've seen through the way that the world is supposed to work. You know, the the kind of ordered systems of reality which operate so kind of smoothly, occasionally fracture, just for maybe even just for a second. And in that fracturing, you kind of realize, actually, the world could be a radically different place. Uh, but why isn't it? <laughs> and something and something about that possibility remains with you right that's i honestly do think that's a kind of shared basic existential condition of modern existence you know haunted by the possibility that something else could be uh the world could be kind of different and better um and so yes we're materialists but we are not kind of arid literalists you know only interested in economism or or the accepted forms of culture um, we we kind of share our existential condition with everybody who is a kind of thoroughly modern subject. And I think I think you know we keep talking about modernity in a piece that was written nearly a hundred years ago now, just just shy of just shy of turning ninety. 
And there, there's there's a line in here um, on page 12, and it's, uh, even modern science can bring grist to the macabre mill. And I love that. He's because, right. <laughs> it's, it's so right. You know, so he's, he's talking um, about um, uh, John Buchan's Space. Uh, it's a short story in this collection. Um, but it deals with, with more... You know, like like early science fiction, this this kind of slip slipstream literature and the early like weird and uh, amateur journalism scene and all that stuff. But like, no matter how far we go, the thing we can't escape is ourselves, and we take those ghosts with us no matter where we go. Alien, mm. you know, like the, this 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 commentary has been made by by several people over time, and it, but like the Alien movies are are haunted castle movies set in outer space. Yeah, they're haunted houses, but they just happen to be in space. Yeah, yeah, we, you know, like, and then even you know, you you've got like, yeah, I don't know, the most hack possible example of this popped into my mind, but uh, Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars, like, no matter, yep. <laughs> and then like, you know, like the Doom video games, like, no matter how far we go into space and sci-fi and technology, we are going to drag our ghosts with us forever because there's no way to separate ourselves from them, and the uncanny recognizes that. Yes, precisely. I I could not agree more. I couldn't agree more. And super important to be okay with that, right? I mean, this is why this is why kind of cultural criticism has always had a weird uh, relationship to this kind of uh, writing. You know, it's seen it as being like the trash of the circulating libraries or like morally corrosive, but like at least it's honest about what it's like to live in this great seemingly all powerful all rational system of capitalism yeah yeah and i think that that's this is the fundamental thing that the uncanny gets at that the weird gets at it's that the world we live in sells itself as being the perfected form of human organization you know we've never lived in a more powerful more advanced more intelligent more connected more everything society but the, the yeah, that is a that is a flimsy facade, right? That that is that is a Hollywood flat. You know, it just takes a light breeze to push that thing down, and then you see all of the people just toiling away to keep that facade in existence. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I think this connects this connects a lot to like how how we get ourselves here because this is a lie we all have to buy into in order to keep it going. You know, we see when we when we talk about superstitions and folk belief and and ghosts, we we other those beliefs and we associate them with the other and we we try and force themselves out of us as as far as possible, but we 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 can't do that, right? And there's a line in here that I really like, and that's modern psychiatry has given scientific recognition to the world of the uncanny by its revelation of a whole universe of the irrational layering and the subconscious behind the apparently solid facade of the conscious mind. And it's like we 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 cannot fundamentally distinguish ourselves from our own weird, haunted, irrational nature. And so we'll try and enrobe that into our scientific systems. And then like, here we are a hundred years later and like psychiatry is like this sprawling mess for what it attempted to try to do. <laughs> Oh yeah, completely. But the, and again, this is a kind of thing that happens to, that has to emerge in mod, in modernity, right? Because you know uh, uh, Nietzsche. It, well, it's, uh, it's Freud, Darwin, and Marx are the 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 heralds of the hermeneutics of suspicion, right? 
because what they do is they show the contingency and constructedness of what we took to be reality. You know, he's he's quite right that Darwin and Freud opened the door to an actual deeper under, understanding and appreciation of the world of the uncanny. I love that way of putting it, This the, the apparently solid facade of the conscious mind. That is, that is probably the single best way to articulate this, right? And like, there's there, there's something like, um, you know, of course I'm going to go here, but there's something like Deleuze Guattarian about this, right? Like, this is this is a this is a rhizomatic connection we have, right? Like, our our conscious mind is necessarily structured upon a bunch of permeable connections with a world that we can hardly recognize, and that that creates this illusion of freestanding stability, but in fact, it's like freestanding in a sense that it's infinitely propped up by parallel consciousnesses yeah <laughs> <laughs> well once again once again this is this is something that's a really important historical development right modernity gives us the idea of the good contained cartesian subject right the the working functioning i but modernity also exposes that for the contingent construction that it is right there is a there's a there's a kind of dialectical relationship happening there between the uh self as it's presented and the self as it's understood so do you have any other comments on this amazing little introduction uh it's great it's it's kind of uh it, it feels very kind of uh much a privilege to get to read it um, it's something that's that's shockingly rare now and very little read, but I actually think that in just a very very few words, it expresses so much of what we're trying to do. I I completely agree. Like this 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 introduction is almost a a mini manifesto for the show and how we approach culture. Yeah, absolutely, and it has been, um, it's been amazing to get to get to read it and. Uh, I just sort of wish there had been more uh, that Cordwell had been able to write before uh, he was lost uh, and, well, murdered by fascists. That truly is a shame, but it is, it's wonderful to see what Spriggs' writing has gone on to inspire, right? You know, like, China, I, keep, I keep referencing it, but that amazing China Mavel Halloween speech, absolutely yeah, fantastic absolutely. and inspiring work. And like here, here Sprig is alive and well in in the summer of 2020, helping us with this show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, certain ghosts uh, won't ever be exorcised, and that is very good news for all of us. Thanks for tuning into that book club episode, creeps. Remember to keep reading, and as always, stay spooky.